there's something so manly about that part right there, isn't there? The women see the blood dripping off the donkey jawbone and they're like, ew. And the men are sitting there like, yeah. I'm all pumped up. Uh, my name is Pastor Scott, one of the staff members here, and it's a privilege for Brad and I to flip it on you because I normally do announcements and he comes up now. But we're continuing in our, our series of My Story is History. And today we're going to look at the character Samson. But before we get into his story, I wanted to take you to one verse in Scripture that I think brings our mind to where we're going to go today. And it comes out of Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. This is God speaking, and here's what he says. He says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap of a half of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. Our God said, I looked for someone. But how many did he find? Scripture says, I found none. Zero. Not one person could God find that would stand in the gap. In fact, if I was to take that verse... And I was to put it into today's language, and I would say, okay, um, this is how I would say it. I'm looking for a man of integrity. I'm looking for a man of courage. I'm looking for a man who will stand up for those that cannot stand up for themselves. I'm looking for a man who would lay down his life just as Christ laid his life for the church. I'm looking for a man who would impart spiritual truth to the next generation. I'm looking for a man that will stand in the gap. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, it just makes me want to stand up a little bit taller. It makes me want to stand up and say, I will be that man. In fact, as I was preparing this talk for today, I came across a quote, a conversation between one man named Henry Varley to a man named D.L. Moody. Moody would become one of the greatest evangelists that our history has ever seen in the church And listen to what um, Varley said to Moody. He said, The world has yet to see what God can do through one man whose heart is totally surrendered unto him. And I love what Moody says in response. He says simply, I will be that man. Or let me bring it to the ladies. I will be that woman. If God is looking for men or women of integrity, of honor, of courage, of faithfulness, I will be that one. See, as God writes his story, as he's literally writing a masterpiece in your life and in my life, he's doing something amazing. But the problem is, is sometimes we get in the way of God. We get in the way of his plan. We get in the way of his purpose. I'm afraid to say that's what happened to our character in our story today, Samson. God had set Samson apart from birth, but yet Samson was so much like so many of us that he allowed the circumstances of his life, he allowed his pride, he allowed his emotions to get to the best of him, and he didn't carry out God's complete purpose for his life. We read about Samson in Judges chapter 13 through 16. If you have your Bibles, if you want to flip there today, um, we're going to concentrate really on chapter 14. But if you wanted to do further study on the life of Samson, two great books that I would recommend. Um, One is called Fight by the author Craig Rochelle. Another is called The Samson Syndrome by a man named Mark Atterbury. Great things if you want to go deeper into the life of Samson. But here's the thing. A lot of people know about Samson. 
I mean, it's one of those kids' Bible stories. And we know about Samson and Delilah. But we often don't concentrate on the early years of his life. And that's what I want to do with you today. First of all, Samson's accomplishments were legendary. But so were his failures. And when we really start to look at it, when we start to pull back the layers, we start to see that Samson is no different than you or no different than I am. God had given him so much potential, so much of a future, so, much exi- so many gifts for kingdom movement and making a difference in this world. But yet again and again, his poor decisions kept him from doing it. In fact, if I could summarize Samson's life in just one sentence or one statement, here's what it would be. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Let me say that one more time. Samson was an incredibly strong man with a dangerously weak will. Just like you, just like me. He had an incredibly strong frame, a man that was intended for so much, but yet he left that spiritual potential in the back because he had a dangerously weak will where he gave in to the emotion of the moment. Let me set up the story for you. The Israelites had been unfaithful to God And so God put them under the rule of the Philistines, their enemies. And after years and years and years, God said, Finally, you've learned your lesson. I'm going to raise up a man, Samson, who will help to start to deliver you from the bondage of the Philistines. So one day, an angel of the Lord appeared to a couple that was unable to conceive. And the angel says to them, You're going to give birth to a son. His name is Samson. And from the very beginning of Samson's life, the Spirit of the Lord literally stirred within him. But he was also supposed to be set apart. In fact, he was told that he was going to live, and his family were going to live by what's known as the Nazarite vows. We see a few things about Samson in these vows. If you want to write down on your outlines there, Numbers chapter 6. If you wanted to go back and see where these come from, Numbers chapter 6. But Samson had three very simple things that he had to live by in this Nazarite vow. The first one was quite simple. It was don't get drunk. No Coronas, no martinis, no margaritas with your Mexican food, nothing. No alcohol upon his lips. The second one was simple, is don't touch dead things. Don't touch things that are unclean. Stay away from anything that was dead. And the third one um, was simply don't get a haircut. Don't get a haircut. Keep your hair long. And, and so I, I came across this as, um, so what hairstyle did he have? Did he have dreads? Did he have, keep it in braids? What was it? I can tell you one thing he did not have. He did not have a mullet. No way, no mullet. That did not happen at all. If you had a mullet, it wasn't cool back then either. Sorry. <laughs> Just saying. So here's the thing. So what's the deal about Samson's hair? And Samson's long hair was symbolic of the fact that he had been set apart for the use of God. See, the thing about these Nazarite vows, these Nazarite vows were a way to set somebody apart so that they were set so that they were going to be used wholly by God and people could see something different about them. Just as we talk about baptism, when people walk into the waters of baptism, it's an outward demonstration of an inward faith. Just like I walk around every single day with a wedding ring on my finger is an outward demonstration that I am dedicated to my wife, Kim, and that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. It's an outward demonstration. And in the same way, Samson's long hair was an outward demonstration for those that all around there would know, 
that he is set apart for greatness. And so let's jump into the story here. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. And as we go through these different passages, we're going to see some character traits of Samson that I think if we are honest with ourselves, we can also see in us. So uh, follow along with me in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now what did Samson do? He left Zorah where he lived, his hometown. He traveled four miles down the road to Timnah, which was in enemy territory. He left his friends and he went and saw his enemies. And he went to that area and he saw a smoking hot Philistine woman that he said, I want her as my bride. And it's interesting because God had said that he, that woman was off limits to him because women that did not worship him were not supposed to be married to God's people. And so at that moment, Samson looks at this beautiful Philistine woman and he forgets everything. He forgets the standards that God has set. And what he says is he lives by what I would call an entitlement mindset. I want it. I deserve it. Get it for me. He doesn't care what his God says. He doesn't care what his dad says. He doesn't care what his mom says. He doesn't care what's wise. He doesn't care about anything because in that moment, he sees this and he says, I want it, get it for me. In fact, as you look at verse 3, listen to what his um, parents had to say to him about this choice. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all of our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson's parents were saying, Come on, Samson, there's got to be somebody within our people here. What they didn't know and what we read just a couple of verses further down in the passage is that God intended this. God wanted this to happen. But yet Samson... As he viewed that woman, he viewed himself in this entitlement mindset that I deserve it. And to be honest with you, in 2015 as Christians, we live with that same mindset, don't we? We feel as though we're entitled to different things, and I don't know what it could be for you. Um, Maybe I can speak to men for a second, and, and we like expensive toys. And so maybe you found a toy that you really want to buy. Um, normally it comes with four wheels or it floats in a lake. And um, you look at it and you say, I want it. I'm entitled to it, even though you can't afford it. But the bank says you can afford it, so that means you can afford it. And so you go with this entitlement mindset and you go and you charge it and you buy it and you say, wow, I'm going to be happy. Or maybe your entitlement is completely different. Maybe um, you're young here today and, and you're in a dating relationship. And, and you hear that God says that you should save sexual relations until you're married. But you say, oh, but I love him and I want to show her my love. And so you give in. And as a result of giving in, you've settled for second best, not God's best. See, entitlement comes in all kinds of different forms and all kinds of different ways. But it's entitlement nonetheless. So Samson, back to our story. And his parents head down to Timnah. And out of nowhere, a lion jumps out at them. Pick up in verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. See, it's easy to look at Scripture and be like, oh, 
He killed a lion. No, hold on. Think about this. We're not talking about a lion cub. We're not talking about the lions that lay around at the zoo sunbathing all day long. We are talking about a ferocious mouth with huge teeth kind of lion that roars at you and wants to eat you up. So when I think about that, first of all, the fact that Samson, with no weapon, literally had the spirit of the Lord upon him and the strength to rip that lion apart, that's manly. That's studly right there. Because if it was me in that situation, you know what I probably would have done? One of two things. Ran away or ran and climbed up a tree. I would not have taken on that lion. But yet Samson ripped that lion apart. And look at what it says in verse 8. It says, after some days. We don't know how many days it is, but it's after some days. Um, here's, he turned, back to verse, after some days he returned to take her. This would be his soon-to-be wife. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. Let's break that verse down a little bit. After some days he returned, and I love that part that it says, and he turned aside. Isn't that where trouble happens in our lives? Where we're going along that narrow road that God has called us to live upon. We have our eyes and our minds and our hearts solely on God's will. And all of a sudden, something catches our eye. All of a sudden, something distracts us. All of a sudden, it takes us where we turn aside. All of a sudden, we go from God's best to the moment of something that we're excited about. And as a result of that, we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And that's exactly what happened with Samson. He's on the path on his way to go to this lady, and he turns aside. And what does he see on the side of the path? This ripped up, dead, nasty carcass of a lion. And he looks there, and he notices some bees that are swarming all over it. As I picture it, and even as I think about it, it had to have reeked. There's this dead lion. And he looks in there, and there's these bees, and he notices that there's a pool of honey. And he takes his hand, and he scoops it right down in that honey, and he pulls it up, and he starts to eat that honey. Two things there. First of all, based on all the ladies' faces, that's nasty, isn't that? This is just gross. I don't see a new marketing campaign coming out of this. Instead of trying local honey, try dead lion carcass honey. It's going to be amazing, right? Probably not going to come about. But the second part is, remember earlier on that Nazarite vow that he had to live by? The second thing that he had to do was not touch dead things. But Samson was willing to take and turn aside from God's best, to turn aside from where he was going, and stick his hand in that nasty dead lion and completely go against God's plan. So let me ask you a question. Who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of honey? The answer is, we do it every single day. We betray our God who has blessed us for stupid, sinful things that only hurt us and those around us because we think we're entitled to it. Or maybe you've said this to yourself because I've said it as well. I deserve to be happy. We live by an entitlement mindset. I deserve it. Another character trait as we look at Samson in his life is um, that of pride. Pride. What were those three Nazarite vows? Don't cut your hair, don't touch dead things, and don't get drunk. So what does he do, Mr. Strong, Mr. Prideful? I think I can handle it. Look at what verse 10 has to say. And his father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there. 
for the young men used to do. And so what were they doing here? Is they were going down there to Timnah to prepare a feast, or better that we would understand, they were going to put on a wedding. In fact, the word here that we see in the, in the original text um, was the word mishta. It literally means a feast or a party. And if you were to translate it into our language today, it was an occasion for drinking. Let me tell you what Samson was about to do. Samson was going to get a mar- he was going to get married. He says, "Tap the keg, let's have a party, guys. Come on." Samson thought he could handle it. Samson thought he deserved it. Samson thought he was strong. That's what pride does to us. And that's what happens over and over and over again. God has given you such potential to do works in his name, but yet we think I want it. I deserve it. I'm strong enough. In fact, a couple of fill-ins on your outline. Pride says that I deserve it. Pride says that I'm smarter than you are because I know better than you do about my life. Pride says that I can handle it on my own. Pride says that I know what's best, not you, God. Pride says that God's standards are just merely suggestions that I don't need to follow in my life. I don't know what that could be for you. But as we think about it, pride rears itself in so many different ways. One way that I've seen recently in my life is that with um, alcohol or drugs. And, um, you know, people that think, I want to drink. I want a pill. I want to smoke. And whatever it is, they have this idea of, I deserve it. I can handle it. Why is it a big issue? And before long, that substance owns you. And it affects everyone else just a couple of weeks ago, someone that I dearly love in, in, in my life, um, I watched as, as his addiction to alcohol just got the best of him. And it breaks my heart to see it. And here's the part that breaks my heart the most, is as I talked with him, as I interacted with him, he said, but I'm okay. I can handle it. See, that's what pride does, is it keeps us from asking for help. It keeps us from acknowledging that we might actually have an issue. And so this morning, if you're sitting here today, And maybe alcohol owns you. Maybe drugs or painkillers own you. Maybe even cigarettes own you. God has so much more in store for you. And we have an amazing ministry right here at First Baptist that is here to help you. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Sandy Horton and her team do a fantastic job to come right alongside you, to encourage you so that you or someone you love can experience the freedom from addiction that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, I also understand that pride comes in other ways than just that area. Maybe for you, um, your pride comes in your looks. That as you walk places and you see a mirror, you have to stop in process and say, wait a minute, is my hair okay? Okay. Ooh, I look good. And you keep on walking. That's not me, for the record. (laughs) Um, Maybe for you, um, it's your title or your status. Maybe for you, it's where you live or the type of car that you drive or you derive your worth out of how much you have in your pocketbook or your 401k. And you take pride in the fact that you think you're better than somebody else or you're set up for the future than somebody else. Or let me flip that to the other side. Maybe you take pride in what you don't have. But it's pride nonetheless. And pride so easily comes at us and pride so easily entangles us in such a way that it gets so hard to get away from. And that's exactly what happened with Samson. If you forward to the very end of his life, let me tell you what you would read. 
Um, perhaps the strongest man who has ever lived, who from birth God had his hand upon him. God's spirit strengthened him. You'll see this man whose eyes were literally gouged out, and all he had left were dark sockets. And he was put in front of 3,000 Philistines, and he was there to be the entertainment for the night. He was the laughingstock of all those people because he allowed his entitlement. He allowed his pride to get in the way where he gave in to temptation, and he was brought before them. And he missed out on God's best. Let's go back to our text. So Samson is at the bachelor party stage. The wedding's about to go down, and and because she's a Philistine woman, there's Philistine men all over the scene. So he's hanging out with 30 Philistine men. And we know as men, we can't just sit and hang out with one another, right? We need to be doing something. So Samson looks at these 30 men, and he says, Hey, I have a riddle for you. Let's play a game of wits. And because we as men, we need to have a prize to win when we have a competition, he says, Let's put a friendly wager on it. So Samson looks at these 30 men, and he says, I'm going to tell you a riddle. And if you can't figure it out, you're going to owe me 30 pieces of linen. But if you figure it out, I will owe you 30 pieces of linen. So first of all, think about the pride in that moment. Samson is so confident in his own ability, so confident in the riddle that he's going to share, that he's willing to put himself in really a one-sided bet. Because if those men win or lose, they only have to come up with one thing of clothing. But if he loses, he has to come up with 30 pieces of clothing. But, oh, pride comes out in such beautiful and remarkable ways. And listen to what he says. He says, I will give you seven days to figure out my little riddle. And he says this. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about that lion and the honey. He's talking about the strength and then how it separates out. So he brings this out there and the men are dumbfounded. In fact, scripture says for three days they can't figure it out. But yet, we as men have pride. We know it. We don't want to lose. We don't want someone else smarter than me. And so what these men, the Philistine men do, is they go to Samson's soon-to-be bride. And they go to her and they say something so unique that I find it very interesting. They say, trick him. Get the secret out of him. And I love this. It's as if they are going to make sure that they don't lose. They say, and if you don't get the secret out of Samson, we're going to burn you and your dad to death. They meant business. So the soon-to-be wife uses every woman's secret weapon, which are tears. And so she starts to cry, and it works every single time. Scripture says for seven days, she, I, you don't love me. Why won't you tell me the secret? And for seven long days, she did that to Samson. And finally, Samson caves in to the tears. In fact, the New Living Translation of this verse says this. On the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. Let's pick up the story in verse 18. It says, And the men of the city said to him, On the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson, in that moment, turns into a rage. He is furious. He is so angry. He is so upset. Because they had solved his riddle. And he says one of the stupidest things ever recorded in Scripture. Listen to what he says. If you had not plowed with my heifer, 
you would have not found out my riddle. Okay, so first of all there, men, just a point of advice. Never refer to your wife, your fiancé, or your girlfriend as a heifer. It is not going to go well for you. But what we see in this moment is a character trait that I think many of us struggle with, and that is anger. Anger. Um, Because Samson was so upset that they had solved his riddle. In fact, in the middle of verse 19, it says that he went down to the town of Ashkelon. He killed 30 men. He took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. See, as a result of Samson's anger, he took, he ran away. He killed 30 innocent men in order to protect his pride and in order to carry out his anger. And then listen to what it says. The Bible says, in hot anger, or as the NIV says, in burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And in verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. How do we go from being in this wedding where these men had just solved the riddle to all of a sudden his wife is married to another guy? Let's put ourselves in this situation here. Samson, the hothead, Samson, who's angry, Samson, who just had his pride stepped on by those men, his, has to go carry out his end of the bet. So the woman is there, the family is there, this beautiful wedding is all ready to go. Samson's ticked off, allows his anger to get the best of him. He leaves, and he goes and he kills 30 men. I've never killed a man, I don't know how long it takes, but to deal, kill 30 men, it probably took some time. So go back to that wedding feast. All of the people are gathered there. The father of the bride is standing there, and he's looking at all these people, and he says, wow. This is awkward. This is embarrassing. What am I going to do? And it, in this time, it was not uncommon at all for the father of the bride to look and say, okay, she's of marrying age. Well, the groom, hothead Samson, he's gone. Um, this guy, yeah, he'll do. Come on in. And she's married. And so imagine what happens when Samson, the hothead, comes back. He's already in a bad mood. And now he goes into a rage of anger. In fact, in chapter 15, it talks about Samson was so angry at the Philistines that he's going to get them back. So he goes out and he catches 300 foxes. He takes one fox, he takes another fox. He ties their tails together. He puts a torch on it and lights them on fire and says, go. So imagine the scene with 150 foxes, one wanting to go this way because its tail's burning, one wanting to go this way because its tail's burning, in the village, in the crops, And all that they have gathered is burned up like that. See, Samson's emotion of anger got the best of him. And listen to what happens to Samson's who would have been wife. Those Philistines were so angry in that moment that they go get her and they get her father and they burn him to death. See, Samson's emotion-driven anger cost him as it cost so many of us as well. See, here's the challenge. For so many of us, our default emotion is anger. And we all handle our anger in different ways. For some of you, your anger might be like vomit. It just comes out, it goes everywhere, and it stinks. Others of you, your anger is more of an internal battle. That you get upset and you hold it on the inside. Nobody knows that you're necessarily angry, but it slowly simmers. It slowly gets hotter and hotter and hotter until it comes to a boil and it just comes out everywhere. 
others of you, your anger is just uncontrollable. And when you get in that moment, it just acts out in so many different ways that you wish it wouldn't, but it does. See, to be honest with you, men and women, we handle anger in complete different ways. Let me illustrate it for you like this. If a woman is walking along and they stub their toe on a stool or a chair, what do they do? They sit down. They might even take off their shoe. They make sure that their toe is okay. They nurse it, maybe even rest for a moment. What do we as men do if we stub that toe? We walk and we hit it. We pick up the thing and we throw it. And we say, you stupid chair, I can't believe you were in my way. But we allow our emotions, we allow the emotion of anger to get the best in our lives. See, here's the thing. We all deal with anger. We all have times where we're angry. It's how you handle your anger is the issue. Friend, do you allow your emotions of the moment to direct you? Think about Samson for just a minute. What did Samson have to be angry about? Really, what did Samson have to be angry about? I mean, think about his story. He was the one that went out and pursued the wrong woman. He was the one that decided to marry that woman. He was the one that ignored his parents' advice, that ignored God's standards. He's the one that knew the secret to this little riddle. He's the one that challenged those men that put out the bet. He's the one that told the secret to his soon-to-be wife. He's the one that got angry and ran away and left his wife at the altar. He's the one that went and took those foxes, lit them on fire, and let it go. But yet Samson, in a moment of self-righteousness, looks and says, it's their fault. Samson should have been angry at himself, but he wanted to pass the blame on everyone else. Does that sound familiar to you today? I mean, it could come in all kinds of different forms. Maybe you're there and you're saying, I hate my job. I hate my boss. I just can't stand my stupid job. For the record, that's not me. Brad, if you're in here, I like you. (laughs) But maybe you look at your job and, and you say, I hate my job because you feel as though that job is beneath you because you settled for something that wasn't as good as you could have attained. Or, or maybe you're a man here today, and you get so frustrated at your wife because she won't meet your physical needs. But if you were honest, you'd have to say, I haven't met her emotional needs in months or years. Or maybe it's with your kids. Maybe you've said some things to your kids out of anger because they just annoyed you. They got under your skin in such a way where you said things that you could never take back. Or maybe you found yourself in a place because you turned aside. And you looked at that dead lion carcass of your life. And you settled for the moment rather than God's best. But yet you cry out to God and you say, God, how can you allow this to happen in my life? You cry out to God and say, God, I can't stand that you let this happen. Why won't you change my circumstances? And God looks at you and says, I've been with you there every single moment. Maybe you're here today and you've allowed the emotions of the moment just as Samson did to rule you. Friend, it's time to own it. It's time to say, yep, that's me. See, as we think about Samson's life, as we think about his story, um, he's much like us. Um, Samson had that entitlement mindset. I think if we were honest with ourselves, many of us here struggle with entitlement. Um, uh, Samson struggled with pride. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say, yeah, you know what, Scott? There's times in my life that I take pride in things that were not my doing. 
There's times that I take pride in things that, got, that really were just a gift from God. And this one that I spent the most time on today that we just talked about, that of anger. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would have to say that there are times that we'd allow our anger to get the best of us. See, here's the thing, is Samson was emotion-driven. But if we're going to truly live out what God's best is for our lives, we're going to take our emotions out of it, and we're going to allow the Spirit of God to take over from the inside out. Instead of being emotion-driven, we're going to be Spirit-led. So how does that happen? How does that work? How do we live that out in our lives? Um, it can come in, in all kinds of different ways. Next time when, when you feel as though you're entitled to something, to say, God, is this your best for my life? God, is this what you have for me, or is this what I want for myself? The next time that you feel as though you're proud, remember that it's not you that's doing it, it's God through you. I love what God's word says. God's word says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, God might be calling some of you today to lay down your pride. See, as I hear the stirring, as I look at your faces, as I look into some of your eyes, I also know that there's some of you that have an issue with anger. Some of you need to maybe have a conversation with someone. Um, maybe it's somebody that you're sitting next to right now. Maybe you've said some hurtful things to a spouse. Maybe your anger got the best of you years ago and you haven't handled it. Maybe you need to pick up the phone today and you need to call a child or a family member or a friend and say, you know what, the words that I shared, they were hurtful and I want to make it right. See, here's the thing. It's, it's okay to be here today and not have everything together. Absolutely okay to be here and not have everything together. But it's not okay to stay that way. If we continue to stay in our angry state, if we continue to walk in pride, if we continue to carry our entitlement, we're not living for God's best. So friend, what are you going to do about it? We all struggle in varying degrees. But are you going to allow your emotions to be taken over by God and allow the Spirit of God to exude in and through Join me in prayer. Father, even as I stand before so many, it's humbling to share, God, that I walk around at times with an entitlement mindset. God, there's times that my pride gets the best of me. And there's time, God, that that pride is honestly quite ugly. And God, there are times in, in my life, behind closed doors, that have allowed my anger to get the best of me. And God, I know that in a room this size, that there are many other people just like me. That if they were able to be honest with you or able to be honest with even those that they're sitting with or the friend that brought them, they would have to say, yeah, you know what? I've allowed the emotions of the moment to get the best of me. And so, Father, I pray today. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you will help them to take a step in their life. To lay down that entitlement, to lay down their pride, to lay down their anger. And allow your spirit to exude from them, to allow your spirit to take over their emotions. And God, that is a moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day kind of decision. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will abound in our lives in such a way that, God, we will lay down our pride, that we will lay down our emotions, our entitlement, everything else, whatever it is, so that, God, you can do amazing work in and through us. God, we're much like Samson, more than we'd like to acknowledge. But God, I thank you that through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus Christ, we're made new each and every day. We thank and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.